This is Just a Few Questions from Chicago. I'm your host, Mark Sims, and I have David Seaton on the phone line. David Seaton is the co-host of the Buchanan and Seaton radio show on WVON Radio here in Chicago. David Seaton, what's going on? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Man, you sound great. I love those pipes, man. You got the voice, man, for radio. <laughs> <laughs> and you're intellectual and smart. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> David Seaton, let me just jump right into it. Uh, will the Democratic Party, David Seaton, will the Democratic Party move further or move, just, just move to the political left? You know, I've been thinking about this question, and I've had this conversation a few times. Uh, I've got I've to say Joe Biden, the, 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 he's got a pretty progressive uh, agenda out right now, covering everything from uh, jobs to home ownership to uh, creating wealth in minority communities. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just spoke. He just spoke today uh, about thirty minutes ago and had a news conference about how he's implementing a large pieces of the Green New Deal. I, I think. For those of us who are, or for those who are far left, and and you know perhaps even you know Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, I think if if you just kind of take a step back and take a and really take a deep dive into what he's suggesting right now, I don't think most uh, Bernie supporters would be support would be disappointed. I'm, I'm glad you said that because uh, uh, Joe Biden is a politician. Uh, he understands politics, and he, I think he since he's old enough, he understands legacy. And uh, this is like the last chapter of his legacy or his, you know, his political career. And he wants sure. to go out on top knowing the country is, is demographics is are changing, will continue to change. And it's going to be a more progressive uh, era, hopefully. And he's going to be he's going to be part of that history. What do you think? Sure. Well, I mean, again, if you just look at some of his policy uh, suggestions, he's talking about putting one point seven trillion dollars over the next 10 years in clean energy jobs. Uh, that's about retrofitting buildings and and changing the changing the uh, energy infrastructure over to uh, zero carbon and 100 percent renewals by 2035. He's talking about putting one trillion dollars over 10 years into uh, infrastructure. And, you know, we've heard that a lot, especially during the Trump years, but they didn't have the support from the Republican Senate. But he's talking about rebuilding roads and bridges and railways and freight and port and and airports. That's going to create jobs. Uh, He's talking, you know, he's talking about putting, giving, uh, providing a $15,000 federal down payment assistance for first-time home buyers. And as you and I both know, the, the biggest uh the biggest way that you can create not only familial wealth but multi-generational wealth is by becoming a homeowner Uh, oftentimes the largest impediment to becoming a homeowner is the down payment so creating that fifteen thousand dollar down payment assistance program for first-time home buyers is going to go a long way and the last thing that i'll say is his tax plan is extremely extremely progressive he doesn't have a wealth tax but what he does is, uh, what he's proposing is raising the highest tax bracket back to 39.6. He's talking about ending favorable, ta- favorable tax rates for capital gains for anyone making over a million dollars. So now you're not going to have people out there who are just uh, being taxed at the dividend rate of 15%. If you make over $1 million, you're going to have to pay that full 39.6 like a W-2 employee. And probably the most exciting thing that he's done is he is leaving the cap on Social Security where it is right now and creating a donut hole so that 
it kicks back in for individuals who make $400,000 or more, and he's going to take 12.6% from that income uh, to fund Social Security. So there are a lot of really exciting things that he's talking about. And as long as he gets the supporting cast in November and the Senate and the House, uh, he's going to be able to implement it. See, David, see, that's why I brought you on on my little podcast, because I'm not going to read all that stuff to dive in, dive into the details. <laughs> Hell no. Got to remember, it's like going back to school, memorizing this. You and, and, and Professor Seaton may give me a test on all this stuff because you asked the, you just answered the question. Sort of what I was going to ask. The second question was uh, uh, the, the next question was, uh, will he have to uh, buy Joe Biden and hopefully the Democratic House and Senate? implement some WPA type jobs, great society type programs, a new deal. We talked about the Green Deal earlier because I'm on the back end of being employed. Right. But if you're a 20 or 30 year old, I'm telling you, it's a lot of these jobs. You're going to see a lot of jobs change because of the technology and the AI and the algorithms. And a lot of sure. uh, simple jobs that I used to do and probably could do now are going to go away. So the government is going to have to kick in with some employment. What do you think? I think that I think that right now uh, we are at the same point in history where we were at the beginning of the 20th century, where you have the invention of the car. You had an entire, you know, you had an entire generation that all they knew were horses and horse-drawn buggies, and you had, uh, you know, you had an entire our entire civilization was basically agrarian. And when you have the introduction of the car, it was a paradigm shift. And, I, and, and but, but you look at all of the other opportunities and all of the other jobs that were created that no one could have even imagined. No one, no one could have even imagined that, that there'd be someone who becomes a millionaire from installing car tent on windows or putting, you know, stereos into cars or, or putting rims on the cars or, you know, paint jobs. There are so many other opportunities that, that, he, that came and that were born out of that paradigm shift that that we couldn't even imagine when the car was invented. And I think we're doing, we're, we're in that same place right now. We are lamenting that, uh, that perhaps there's going to be a lot of job loss and a lot of job attrition, but there are opportunities that are going to, uh, that are going to be available 10, 15 years and years from now that we can't even imagine much like we couldn't imagine those opportunities when the first model T's were rolled off the assembly floor. Yeah, I agree with you, David Seaton, but my my I could be wrong. I'm sort of a, a Debbie Downer. Let's see. I think you got that tone already <laughs> because there are jobs out here. But let's not a mismatch jobs where people are there are jobs available. But we what people don't have that skill set or the skills or the education for the jobs. And then you will we'll have new jobs being created. But will the new jobs pay a freaking living wage for people who really have a little education, a little skill? Well, well, again, I think that touches on, and I'm glad you mentioned it, because I actually wrote something on my blog. I have a blog called Seaton Speaks, and I wrote a, kind of a, a deep, I took a deep dive into reparations. And, and I, in, my, in my blog post, I discuss what's the goal of reparations? Should it be to provide income or should it be to provide wealth? And I think the problem with the great society, and a lot of black Republicans have echoed this, is that during the Great Society, we created meager streams of income for people. We, we, we implemented Section 8 housing. We did WIC. We did, uh, you know, food stamps. We did all of these things that provided people with just enough to survive. 
and then we expected them to make up the difference. And, and the and the adverse or the unintended consequences that it created a generations of dependency, as opposed to creating wealth, where where we know that the biggest the biggest thing that you can do to uh, to get a higher income is to get more education be that college, university, specialized training, whatever it is, but you need the, the education to get more income. Once you get more income, you can become a homeowner, and by becoming a homeowner, you create wealth. So that's the, that's the discussion that we need to have. A, a universal, uh, universal UBI or universal basic income is really just going to, it's going to replicate the mistakes of the great society. What we should be doing is uh, it's, you know, for example, in, in, a, in a conversation of reparations, but just increasing the intellectual infrastructure of the United States, period, we should be saying, you know, everybody can go to school to get a, to get a uh, you know, to get that next degree or get that next uh, level of education or get that specialized training that you're talking about so they can fill those jobs, so they can increase their income, so they can become homeowners, so that we create wealth. UBI create, is, gonna, is just going to create an entire generation of dependence unless we we do that second part which is to help people with education income homeownership and wealth yeah but you still are for a some form of ubi aren't you universal basic income aren't you i think that again and this is something else that i wrote so again we're kind of it's interesting that we're having that we're having this conversation because this goes back to some things that i've written very recently i think that there are ways that we can manipulate the tax code uh, and, and we can incent private, uh, the private industry, we can, we can leverage the income that's in the private industry such that we would need a UBI. For example, uh, if, if we implemented a program, we know that in 2000, I think it was in 2018, the average median income in the United States was around $58,000. So let's just use that as an example. And if you want to make sure that people are making more than that $58,000. And we know that most people, you know, work a W-2 job. So they're getting that money from their employer. And that employer has a tax deduction of a ratio of one to one. Every dollar they pay you as an employee, they can write off. So we can go to private industry and say, hey, we're going to create a tax incentive that says that, you know, if the average income is $58,000 and you pay someone $70,000, instead of you being able to write that off at that same one-to-one ratio, we'll allow you to write that off on your taxes at maybe 125% of that salary that you're paying. Now there's now you, you, you've created a relationship where that employer needs that employee and they are incented to pay that employee more money and they're going to get the benefit as uh, you know, on their on their taxes, just like they do for anything else. You know, they we we incent business to buy new equipment or 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 retrofit old antiquated technology, and we incent them in in our tax code. There, there's a way to use the tax code so that we can incent private industry to pay more money, and then that that money that that more money that we put in, into people's hands. That's what's going to drive the economy because then they're going to have more money to spend. So it's it's really just a uh, it, it creates a cycle that will be beneficial. But we just have to be brave enough and and innovative enough to try something new to get our to get our desired result. Okay, my, you know my eyes just glazed over. Oh, they glazed over about a minute ago. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm think I'm coming back. My eyesight is coming back. I, I mean, <laughs> when, <laughs> I ain't that deep to, to go into that. But we, before I go to my uh, my last question, see, I was reading today about Patrick Monaghan 
and President, uh, I remember President uh, Nixon as a child. Uh, they talked mm-hmm. about it. Well, I saw it on TV, but both of them. But I didn't understand they talked about a negative in- income tax and all that kind of stuff and basic, a basic sure. income back then. OK, I was way that was 40 some years ago. But uh, so sure. these things happen. They nothing. They're they're not new ideas, but they have to be brought to the modern times. Here's my last question. And you can wrap to show up with this last question here. My favorite subject is always education. I stopped going sure. to school 40 years ago and never okay. went back because I hated school. I was bad at it. In this modern era, a person like me, I can barely survive now. In this modern era, at least for the past 20 years, maybe 30 years, a person that has no education it's, it is, and don't have no family and friends to get a good job, good city job or something, it, it is really messed up. So is the education system, as you can see, David Seaton, preparing the students who are like me, not the greatest students, for this new future? Again, I think that we're going through a paradigm shift. Just like everyone is telecom, you know, I have a daughter in college who I went and picked up in March and she was attending, uh, she was attending, she finished her semester at, uh, at school, at, uh, at, uni- at university, going online. And my job, my, my principal job, my day job is I work from home. If, if I, I very seldom have to physically go into an office. Either I'm working from home or I'm traveling around the country doing whatever I'm doing. But all I really need is a computer, a phone, and an internet connection. And that's the paradigm shift that we're going through right now. And we have to retool our education to provide uh, the next generation of, of workers with the skills that they need to survive. One of the biggest complaints from, from private industry is that they have millions of jobs, but no one is qualified to do them. So in terms of, you know, that K through 12 education, we do need to embrace this paradigm shift and we need to we need to, you know, be teaching kids as early as possible how to code and how to use a computer and how to use the cloud and how to interact with AI and all of those things. And for older adults, as it, you know, as it is with anything, it just boils down to how tenacious and how motivated you are. And if you are in a if you're a coal miner in Appalachia and coal is no longer being sold on the open market because the the energy of renewables is at parity with the cost of coal, then you have two choices. You can either not have a job or you can take that, that, that those same core competencies that you use to be successful in the coal industry and apply them to another area in the energy, energy industry with a little bit more training and education. And if you, if for those of us who choose not to take advantage of that, I don't know that there's a I don't know that there's a solution for those people. I know those people. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I am not tenacious well, I, or nor, nor motivated, but the show is over. Can I bring you back, Professor Seaton? <laughs> I'm <laughs> serious. Can I bring, bring you back, back? But let me say this to you before yeah, go, you end. Go ahead, go ahead. Hey, you're saying you're, you're saying you're one of those people, but what are what are we doing right now? You're doing a podcast. So you took the you took the skill sets that you had and you applied it to something. You found the intersection of what you were good at, what you like to do, and where the opportunity was. And that's really the, the formula that we need to use so that people are not stuck in dead end jobs and dead end industries.